Blog Talk Radio. AJC Radio and our team extend a personal invitation to all the members of Congress to be a part of this dynamic initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We welcome you, whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, whatever you might be, we join together to bring to the attention of the American people the positive things that our elected officials are doing on Capitol Hill. Tonight, AJC Radio salutes you, and we extend that invitation to all the members of Congress as we continue to shine the light called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. It's just going to get better from here. Let's get on board. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the Senator from Texas and Madam President, I rise today to speak in support of the amendment to keep guns out of the hands of known or suspected terrorists. The Orlando attack again exposed a dangerous loophole in our law that allows known or suspected terrorists to legally purchase guns through the National Criminal Instant Background Check System, known as NICS. We call this loophole the terror gap. Let me explain what that means. There are currently 10 categories of people who are blocked from buying guns through the National Instant Criminal Background Check, known as NICS. And here they are. They include felons, those under felony indictment, fugitives from justice, drug users or addicts, those committed to mental institutions or adjudicated as mentally defective, foreign nationals here unlawfully, or non-immigrant visas, such as temporary workers, those dishonorably discharged from the military, and those with a domestic violence restraining order. But one group that cannot be blocked from buying guns are those who are known or suspected terrorists on the FBI's Consolidated Terrorist Watch List. They can buy guns, but aliens can't, dishonorably discharged can't, uh, people of renowned citizens can't, drug users can't, fugitives from justice, felonies, etc. Those are the ones that cannot. We know that individuals on the list have exploited this loophole. According to FBI data, Over the past 11 years, the success rate for known or suspected terrorists who undergo background checks to buy guns is 91%. 91% of over 2,000 by GAO study have been found to be able to purchase guns. So closing this dangerous loophole was first proposed by the Bush Justice Department in 2007. In fact, we derive the language in our amendment from that original bill. Our amendment would give the Attorney General the authority to block a gun sale to known or suspected terrorists. It also provides an appeal process, both administrative and judicial. Let me just read that language because it's directly out of the 2007 Bush Justice Department. The Attorney General may deny the transfer of a firearm if the Attorney General determines, based on the totality of circumstances, that the transferee represents a threat to public safety 
based on a reasonable suspicion that the transferee is engaged or has been engaged in conduct constituting or in preparation of, in aid of, or related to terrorism. Ladies and gentlemen of America, since her election to the Senate in 1992, Senator Feinstein has worked in a bipartisan way to build a significant record of legislative accomplishments, helping strengthen the nation's security at home and abroad, combat crime and violence, battle cancer, and protect natural resources in California and across the country. Ladies and gentlemen, you've dialed in to AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Tonight, we honor Senator Dianne Feinstein, senior member of Congress and the, and the Senate. We're coming right back. Hang on to your seats. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams and the AJC radio team. And tonight we welcome you in to another edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. To all of our listeners around the United States and around the world, we welcome you into this program tonight. And I'll tell you what, this is going to be a good one. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein doing some things and has been there a long time, a senior member uh, of the judiciary uh, on the, for the U.S. Senate, Lisa. And we are uh, privileged tonight to uh, to honor her, her what she is doing. Uh, we understand that she has uh, recently uh, had surgery. Uh, we wish her the very best, Lisa. Our thoughts and prayers are with her and her family as she, you know, betters herself, if you will, to be able to continue doing what she's doing in, in a great way in our nation's capital. Yes, we, we, we wish her the best and hope that she recovers well and is moving forward and getting back to the, the job of helping America. Well, and tonight she's going to have the opportunity. Uh, Senator, if you're listening tonight, uh, we salute you at AJC Radio on a just cause as we focus on your accomplishments, some things that you're talking about a long line of good things happening. And uh, we're going to definitely uh, shine the light on her. Before we go forward, Lisa, a disclaimer for our listeners, please. None of us at AJC Radio are lawyers, and we do not provide legal advice. Although we go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a lawyer if you want legal advice. In this time of misinformation, government-controlled media, and government corruption, it's sometimes hard to get to the truth, but we must try. It's not our intention to libel or discriminate against anyone, and the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. We know that you have a choice, many, many choices, actually, in choosing radio stations, and we thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us tonight. And thank you for that, Lisa. We appreciate that. And, uh, again, we're going to get into uh, this special night, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, uh, as Congress is busy as they've ever been in our nation's capital, uh, dealing with the transition of power, all the things that are going on as the Trump administration takes position. And uh, we see the Obamas uh, take an exit uh, from eight years of uh, definitely good service to this nation, Dennis. Uh, those are things that uh, we have to reflect on without 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 a doubt. And no doubt. I mean, it's been awesome. Uh, they had an awesome run. Uh, did some very good things. And uh, we as a country, uh, we got to get uh, ready for a new regime. 
and uh, make sure we participate and make sure we truly get involved with what's going on with this country. Oh, absolutely. And uh, some current news. Uh, Dylan Roof, you know, the shooter, uh, uh, the gentleman that went into the church in Carolina and, and killed those uh, parishioners, if you will, um, sentenced to death. Uh, first person convicted of a federal hate crime. Uh, CNN reports to get the death penalty. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you what they say. He may be sentenced to death in South Carolina state court as well. Of course, one death sentence is a death sentence. He didn't he got one life. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, which, whichever way you are, or whatever side of the discussion, if you will, or debate that you're on, on the death penalty, uh, the 22-year-old made a very clear statement a couple of weeks ago that he had no remorse for what he had done, had no regret for what he had done, and that he would do it again. Uh, William, this is your uh, neck of the woods, if you will. Uh, your thoughts on this type of situation. It's, it's tragic, no matter how you look at it. Definitely. Uh, that a life is going to be taken, but nine were taken without feeling, without any type of emotion, and without any really value of human life. Yeah, you know, I, I watched a little bit of it. I watched the video of his confession to the officers. There was really no remorse here. I mean, he even chose to, I believe, defend himself. Um, I guess he felt that there was no defense. He was justified in his actions and, and what he did. But I, I, I am taken back by this because... Even though you see this, it was definitely tragic. Um, you know, I really have mixed emotions about it. I mean, does it, the death penalty, um, you know, we have our own reservations about the death penalty. But, uh, you know, when, you look, when you're facing someone that was as cold and as callous and uh, did not have any remorse or any regret for what it was done, actually, uh, I believe he's, one of the statements heard it. He left one of the lady alive so she could, um, you know, almost be a witness of the action. Right. You know, it, it's it's very cold hearted. And I mean, and I guess, you know, 22 years old, you know, what are we where are we at now? It's kind of one of the things I think about. Where are we as a country when you think about a 22 year old that's convicted of one of the most horrific hate crimes I've ever heard of? Um, it makes it makes you think. No, absolutely. A lot of things have to change and happen in this country. Uh, and unfortunately, this is a tragedy. There's no win-win here. Um, it's unfortunate. And uh, you can, I'm sure you're going to hear more about that as the, uh, the process of, of his execution uh, in the years that whatever passes time that does that um, <clears throat> will actually be a situation that we'll definitely be monitoring. Also, uh, another tragedy, uh, uh, actually a retired Marine uh, killed her young daughter and then herself. Uh, this happened uh, Monday night in Florida in an apparent murder-suicide hours before the young girl was scheduled to fly home to her father. Uh, Erica Joseph, 46, was found dead with her 9-year-old daughter, Akili Joseph, in Joseph's home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, on Tuesday morning. Uh, according to authorities, Joseph was divorced from Akili's father. Though they shared custody of the child, Akili spent the majority of her time with her dad in, excuse me, in Columbia, she was visiting Florida for the holidays, police say. She was scheduled Tuesday morning to fly back to South America with her father, also a retired Marine. Uh, he was on his way to pick up his daughter before he learned that she had already passed. Uh, what a tragedy. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the families 
uh, of this young girl, the father who has to be just completely crushed. Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we have some issues in this country, uh, and there's always somebody to think about, to keep in your prayers, your thoughts. There, This is a trying time. Uh, and, and Dennis, two former Marines here, uh, sacrifices, of course, I'm sure made to defend this nation. Uh, a lot of answers, a lot of things just unanswered. We don't really understand about it. Very sad, very sad. And again, our hearts go out to the family. You know, just uh, to, a loss of any life is, is, is a pain. But when a life is taken by one's own hands it, and, and then the child is taken with her, uh, oh. that's tragic. But that tells you again, uh, I tell you, we're in a, we're, uh, the country really got to come together and figure out uh, where, where we want to go. I mean, let's, let's do the right thing. Let's join together and do what we need to do. But until then, uh, I mean, we, we just got to continue to truly pray for, pray for one another. No, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, on the other side of this break, we're coming back with the spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday as we shine the light on Senator Dianne Feinstein. And folks, I'll tell you, you need to buckle up. We're going to take off on a serious journey tonight as we shine the light on this wonderful woman who, I'll tell you what, is no nonsense uh, in every possible way, and she's about getting things done. We're going to share her story tonight, highlight what she is doing and continues to do to impact the nation. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. That was a very important thing. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight, and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. 
Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories, not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the shortest treatment and recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720-305-2621. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Senator Dianne Feinstein, and we start this segment tonight honored, and we count ourselves privileged to shine the light on such a profound individual 
making a difference, has been in Congress since 1992, doing some things, a lot of things. She is the senior member of the U.S. Senate on Capitol Hill. And as we've been talking a little bit about some of the challenges and some of the, uh, I guess, the initiatives uh, carried out by Senator Feinstein speaks a lot to the character of who this woman is. Uh, in 2009, Senator Feinstein assumed chairmanship of the state uh, select committee on intelligence, where she oversaw the nation's 16 intelligent agencies. She was the first female senator to hold that position. As chairman, Feinstein, Senator Feinstein oversaw the passage of six intelligent authorization bills following a five-year drought. The committee also approved a key bipartisan report on the Benghazi attacks and released key information about the CIA's detention and interrogation program following six-year review. Today, Senator Feinstein serves as vice chairman of that committee, during which time the committee passed the first significant congressional legislation to address security flaws in our nation's cybersecurity. And, uh, William, I'll, I'll yield to you on this one that, uh, look, to be over 16 intelligent agencies, she has to be well-respected on Capitol Hill and know exactly what she's doing. I'll tell you what, it has nothing to do with male or female here. That, that's absolutely right. I mean, to be over that many agencies, you've got to understand, uh, number one, the safety and security of the country is the top priority. You've got to understand, you know, um, basically how to do this job, how to be, you know, I, I mean, to understand the welfare and the well-being of this country um, and, and definitely be very, very respected and understand how you have to reach across the aisle, you know, so there's bipartisan, uh, uh, you know, nature and negotiation that, that this person will have to possess. So definitely hats off to her for, for being over that. Oh, and the good part about it, Senator Feinstein was key supporter for the nuclear agreement uh, between Iran and the world's major powers. And along with her colleagues, helped defeat a resolution of disapproval in September 2015 designed to undermine the agreement. The nuclear agreement with Iran verifiably prevents Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon a key national security priority for Senator Feinstein. Now, you talk about now, reaching across the aisle and doing what's necessary uh, to get the job done. She fits that. Uh, Senator Feinstein and Senator John McCain, who was a Republican from Arizona, authored a provision in the fiscal year 2016 defense authorization uh, bill to ban torture of detainees in U.S. custody, the amendment became law in November 2015 when the authorization bill was signed into law, and the law restricts interrogation techniques to those authorized in the Army Field Manual and requires access for the International Committee of the Red Cross to detainees in U.S. government custody. Uh, I'll tell you what, and, and this is something that's critically important. Senator Feinstein is not just, these bills are just not bills you just stack up. They have this little bit or that. These are major life-changing implications, uh, bills and, and legislation that Senator Feinstein is doing and is pushing, speaks to the character of Senator Feinstein. Dennis, your thoughts on that? You're talking about nuclear protection of this nation to avoid war, not only with the United States, but also our allies. Being in Congress that long and doing the things that Senator Feinstein is setting out to do as we said before on this program, is shaping a nation, not only for today, but for years to come and generations to come. Exactly. You have to be able to cross the aisles. 
if you can't cross the aisles, if you can't, uh, you know, if you're, you're uh, uh, independently stuck on uh, your party, uh, nothing's going to get done. Uh, but whenever you can step across the aisle and sit down with a, a Republican or whoever and say, hey, we need to look at this and we need, we need to really, I, I truly agree with you and we need to work this out. And, and like you said, when she sat down with Senator John McCain in reference to uh, torturing, I mean, uh, he was a POW. Uh, he understands what it, what it means to be tortured. He's been there, done that. And for them two to get together and say, hey, uh, let's, uh, you know, we're American. Uh, we're, we're, we're the United States of America. Uh, we don't have to be like other countries. I mean, we can still accomplish the tasks that need to be accomplished uh, without, you know, torturing someone. But still, it's just that ability to talk across the aisle, that ability, that willingness to say, hey, it's about the country and not about a party. Oh, absolutely. And her role uh, is pretty extensive. And in addition to her official committee assignments, Senator Feinstein is co-chairman of the Senate Caucus on International Narcotics Control, co-chairman of the Senate Cancer Coalition, and co-chairman of the Senate Women's Caucus on Burma. She is also a member of the Anti-Mess Caucus, the Congressional Dairy Caucus, and the Congressional Former Mayor's Caucus. And she has served as a member of the Aspen uh, Strategy Group since 1997. Uh, I'll tell you what, I don't know how you wear that many hats and are still able uh, to get the job done. And I'll tell you what, this, this speaks really to the, to the true uh, gender blind, and that's a word I'm making up right now, that this is a woman, and people say, well, can a woman get the job done like the guys do? I'll tell you what, Sen- Senator Feinstein is doing stuff and involved with stuff that people would probably assume is predominantly a male role, if you will. But Senator Feinstein, you've got to know she's had to face challenges uh, just based upon the, kind of, the country we live in with different types of biases. I think that's an awesome thing. Cliff, your thoughts on the senator being involved with such impactful legislation that affects this, this nation is, is outstanding. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I kind of echo what Dennis says, you know, about being able to cross the aisle. But also you look at you look at the the legislature that um, that that she's put in place. I mean, you're talking about child welfare. You're talking about, uh, you know, uh, legislation against drug abuse, legislation for uh, for veterans, legislation for, uh, you know, for health. And even for, you know, legislation for food. And, you know, I've said it before that what makes a good member of Congress is you got to have some common sense. You have to put laws and uh, bills, uh, you know, before your colleagues that are just common sense. And you look at, at her bill on processed food safety. I mean, this is something that uh, it, it, should be, it, it should be automatic. But when they had to make a law that says that, um, for for poultry and meat to be processed for pathogens, that would seem like something like okay, well before you can put food out to the American people, it has to be checked to make sure there's no bacteria that you know can basically kill you. It has can have salmonella, can have uh, you know any other virus or any other bacteria. But um, Senator Feinstein came up with the with the act, the Processed Food Safety Act of 2009, that. Uh, that ensures that any any meat product that has not undergone a pathogen reduction treatment for each ingredient or been certified to contain no verifiable traces of pathogens, that 
those products had to be had to be checked. And you would think like, okay, well, the FDA would take care of it. Well, obviously they didn't. Well, you say that the poultry industry would take care of it. Well, they didn't. But Cong- uh, Senator Feinstein said, look, we're going to ensure that anything that we feed to ourselves, that we feed to our children, that it's going to be checked for pathogens to ensure the well-being and the health of American citizens. Those are the type of common sense uh, legislation that it takes to be a member of Congress that you can spotlight and say, hey, this is helpful for the entire population of the United States. Well, here's what people don't understand. We just go to the grocery store. We pick out a chicken, uh, whatever we're going to buy, whatever food we want to buy. And we think, well, it's just common. Go pick. Nobody knows the work going behind it, as Cliff alludes to here. These are actions being taken by people like Senator Feinstein to say, look, we must ensure an accountability action for the foods that we buy. See, people take these things for granted. Right. That, you know, but go to a foreign land where perhaps those laws are not in place and these things are not happening. This is what Spotlight on Capitol Hill is about. Highlighting what you may think isn't important is life and death. Without that type of legislation, who says that the big companies don't take a shortcut to try to get the product? You know, it's about making money. Yeah, we've seen it before. I mean, you've seen the videos where they had hidden cameras with the whistleblowers where you see the way that they treat poultry, you see the way that they treat cattle, and then they say, okay, this animal in these conditions uh, is being slaughtered and then packaged up and fed to the American people. And, uh, you know, the big businesses are all about, you know, they're like, hey, well, it's a profit. But you need members of Congress. You need senators and, and congressmen and women to say, look, we have to ensure that these steps are taken so that you know, you don't have these uh, foodborne illnesses. I mean, there are people who die from food poisoning every year. Yep. And so to have legislation that says you will adhere to checking every piece of meat that you send out to ensure there's no, uh, there's no pathogens, there's no bacteria, no viruses on it, that saves lives. That's the bottom line. No, absolutely. That is so true. I mean, uh, being a congressman or woman, you have to be uh, selfless. Uh, it's got to be about the people. And, and as you can see, as we're talking about uh, Senator, uh, Congresswoman uh, Feinstein, we're seeing that it's truly about the people. And uh, I was looking at a, 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 just a, a small clip in reference to funding for our uh, veterans. You know, and, and this is awesome when, when you truly care about the homeless veterans that are out there and you're willing to sit down and come up with a bill that we could take monies or take uh, land and use that land to build hospitals or, or homes. That's so unusual. But that tells you what type of congresswoman uh, uh, our congresswoman Feinstein is. She's truly Senator. a senator, Feinstein, truly is about making sure our veterans are ta- being taken care of. Whether it's in California, it doesn't matter. Let's take this land. Let's take property that we're not using. Let's use it and build hospitals, build clinics, or build homes for our veterans. That's that's awesome. Well, I mean, we can go on and on. You have Senator Feinstein strengthening security of the visa waiver program. Uh, she's a this is a this is a senator that is about the common man. How can we make America better? What reputation does America have in helping their fellow man, whether it's from another country? She goes here to say provisions from Senator Feinstein's legislation to strengthen the security 
of the Visa Waiver Program, which allows individuals from 38 countries to travel to the United States without a visa, were signed into law in December 2015. These provisions require individuals who have traveled to high-risk countries, including Syria and Iraq, to go through the traditional visa process rather than the visa waiver process. This process requires an in-person interview with a U.S. consular official and the collection of fingerprints and photographs. The provisions also require the use of electronic passports, which are more secure and harder to tamper with, as well as improved information sharing. We'll, we'll, we'll key on that momentarily between the United States and participating countries. This is one of several of Senator Feinstein's proposals to protect the homeland in the face of growing terror threats. I mean, that is just huge. Taking those steps, these are things that you would think the Department of Homeland Security would be doing. These heads of, of, of trying to do, whether it's the FBI, CIA, what, we got a senator from California who's been in the, in, the, in the Senate since 1992 saying, let's make America safer. Let's start this initiative. Let's do this. If we had more of that going on in our intelligent agencies on this level, who knows whether it's the safety and the security of this country uh, would be. William, your thoughts? Well, I think that when you look at it, that's something that, like you said, the agency should have taken on. They should have said, listen, this is something. But the senator understands this. She understands, I mean, like we said, she's a, she headed up 16 intelligence agencies. She understands the need and the transparency, the need for the agencies to share information, to make the, make us, I guess, you know, not I guess, but make us more secure, and the need to share with also our allies. You know, who's coming into our country, who's not, you know. So definitely, this person understands the importance of securing our country. That's just awesome. And uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the, and she's big on the security of this nation and protecting the homeland. Senator Feinstein had something to say about the attacks that took place in Paris last year. Uh, you have to have a sense of feeling and compassion for your homeland to set out and do things that may be called whatever they want to call them, interpreted as ever they want to interpret them. When you're talking about uh, partisan issues. Well, let me tell you something right now. Protecting the homeland is not partisan. Protecting the homeland is American. This is what we should do. And Senator Feinstein is proving that they, there are certain things where politics just should have no place. Protecting the United States of America from a terrorist threat is one of those things. She speaks to it in regards to the Paris uh, attacks that took place in a terrorist way. Let's hear what she had to say. Joining me to talk about this risk is Senator Dianne Feinstein, the ranking Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator, thanks so much for, for being with us as always. As you know, ISIS today issued a threat to attack Washington, D.C. You've just been briefed. Is there a credible terror threat against the U.S. right now from ISIS? Well, I believe it's as you said. Uh, there is a threat, and so threat levels go up, and everybody does the best they can to prepare. Um, I think we're in a very difficult time because ISIS is not under control, and I think the three big events which have been pointed out on your show over and over again in a month, uh, whether it's Beirut, whether it's the Russian passenger liner, whether it's Paris, indicates a scope and a depth to the ability of ISIS to operate. So I don't think any of us can uh, 
make light of it. Um, but I think we have to be prepared, and I believe that's what's happening. I think far more important is how do we get the free, democratic Western world together to be able to work together to provide some element of safety to people and also to defeat what is the worst scourge I have seen in my political lifetime. I want to get to the Syrian refugee uh, question and dilemma in a second, but before I do, I just want to ask you, are intelligence officials, as far as you know, picking up any chatter that might be concerning from sympathizers of ISIS and other terrorist groups within the United States? Well, I, I haven't had a chance to discuss chatter with anybody today. Uh, the Intelligence Committee tomorrow will be uh, discussing this, and I will be sure to ask that question. Were any of the eight terrorists, as far as you know, known to U.S. law enforcement or the national security apparatus in any way? Well, I think the names are known. More than that, I can't tell you. Uh, Senator, um, we're going to have much more on this story in, in just a second, but I do want to ask you about the fact that, that the governors uh, from more than a dozen states uh, in the United States uh, have announced uh, that they are refusing uh, to accept any refugees from Syria. There are some states that have said the opposite, they, they will accept them, but more than a dozen have said no. Uh, what is your take on, on that response, and are you confident that there are sufficient measures in place uh, to screen these Syrian refugees and make sure that, that no terrorists are embedded or smuggled amongst the thousands of refugees who may resettle in the United States? Well, we're going to be in the process of checking on the vetting and going through it from A to Z to see uh, that it is broad-based and effective. Uh, California will not be one of those states, I believe. Um, th this, you know, comes at such a terrible time. Oh, there you have it. She's speaking on some issues there. I mean, the protection of the homeland is America's number one priority. Uh, we talk about Senator Feinstein, her protecting uh, America. Um, Again, as, as, as you alluded to, William, to be over 16 intelligent agencies and overseeing that, you've seen some things and you've seen some death along the way. And down to the fact to trying to still re retain the reputation of the United States as a place of refuge for those who are running from war-stricken countries that look to America as the place of aid and of help and of change. Uh, speaks volumes to the character and the long-standing attitude of Senator Feinstein to keep America's reputation above board. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think also it adds to the fact that, you know, this is a place that is long seen as a place of opportunity. You know, I mean, our country was established by immigrants, you know, so those that are looking for a second chance, those that are running away from oppression, those that are looking for hope, she doesn't want to close the doors on that. She wants, wants them to have the same opportunity that mi millions of others have had. So, you know, it's a juggling act. And really what it's saying is it, it speaks to her character and her understanding that, yes, 
we have to we have to maintain a high level of security and eyes on you know different terrorist threats and different risks. But we can't shut the doors on those that are coming here seeking asylum, seeking a second chance at life, or building a dream. You know, and so when you really look at that, that's that's something that she has embraced and understands that it is a very delicate juggling act. And but it's one that has to be done, and you have to care about the people. You have to care about the people that you protect, and you have to care about those who who seek to become new citizens. So hats off to her. No, absolutely. She goes further uh, in the protection as we deal with the homeland uh, initiatives, if you will, by Senator Feinstein to protect the homeland. Uh, the requiring reporting of online terrorist activity act, which was introduced to Congress in, on December eighth, twenty fifteen. Bill requires an electronic communication or remote computing service company that obtains actual knowledge of unlawful distribution of explosives, destructive devices, and weapons of mass destruction. Uh, it directs the Department of Justice to determine the appropriate uh, authorities uh, in this type of situation. Uh, what I'm finding here is that Senator Feinstein, this is a couple of years ago, where we started saying, now now we're in a place in this country uh, where cyber threats are, are, are the top of the topic, if you will, in our country right now. Senator Feinstein had to, you have to have somewhat of a vision. Uh, you have to have somewhat of a sense that when things are going on in the country, that we need to step out and act now. She did it in regards to gun control. The fact that a bill needed to be passed, you remember, uh, late uh, summer or early late fall, they had to sit in at, at the Capitol about asking people to do something as terrorist attacks and gun control and access to guns and all these things that are going on. She was right there in the midst of the, uh, in the trenches looking to say, what can we do to save lives? What can we do to stop? And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that this is not a party issue. And you have occasionally, you run into senators and congressmen who feel that vision, who see that, they look, this is about that we stop filling body bags in this country, that we stop giving access to people. You'll never stop all of the, the, the killings. You'll never stop all that. But what can you do? What is your responsibility as an elected official to say, I'm going to take every step possible to make sure we do something to minimize the, the, the hurt that's being brought to this country, Dennis? And as you can see, she, she has that uh, common sense look at, you know, the situation. Uh, when we're talking about gun control and we're, we're talking about cybersecurity, I mean, common sense. It's not about taking weapons out of American citizens' hands. It's about uh, making sure that weapons are not getting into hands of those that, you know, that, that, that is not about the American way. You know, that our enemies, you know, these terrorists. And, and that's what it's about. You know, it's all about common sense. And I have to uh, commend uh, the senator on that. It's not, you know, everybody takes everything and take it out of context. No, I'm not trying to take your weapon. I, I, I truly believe in that, that you know, you, you have the right to bear arms. But when it comes to, you know, uh, terrorists out there and doing things, you know, you, you already know they're on a watch list. But yet there's nothing in place to keep them from getting weapons. Come on, let's be real. And, you know, Dennis, I, I have to agree with you on that. And I think... Uh, most women that we deal with are going to have more common sense than the men are. <laughs> that's just going to be that's just going to be standard, pretty much. But uh, I think 
we need to have more of our members of Congress that are not looking at uh, the partisan lines, not looking at what Republicans are saying or what Democrats are saying, but are just looking at what is best for the country as a whole. It's got nothing to do with the red or blue. It's got nothing to do with the partisan lines. It has every, every, we're all in this country together. We all have to live together. And the, the, the solutions that, these, that the members of Congress need, are trying to come up with and are needing to come up with are for all of us as a country, not as uh, Republicans and as Democrats. It's for all of us as just straight-up Americans. No, absolutely. And uh, I'll tell you what, this is what uh, we'll get a pass on the on the statement. I guess women are, are uh, uh, you're a little outnumbered on the set right now. But, uh, That's all right. We, That's all right. We'll let that go. But you know what? She has a point. Look, there's some strong women out here doing some stuff. That, you know, Lamont, it only takes one. That's it. One woman with all these men, that's all it takes. Well, we'll give you that. <laughs> and uh, we, we couldn't do it without you, Lisa, without question. But I'll tell you this right now. That's another mindset we have to get out of as far as the American people, as far as problems. If a woman is doing what Senator Feinstein is doing, and it's more in some cases than what her male counterparts are doing, it is what it is. That's right. You honor that because at the end of the day, it protects my family. It protects your family. It protects your kids when they get up and go to school because Senator Feinstein, senior member of the U.S. Senate, says, I'm going to do everything I can to honor the oath that I took to protect the nation. And I tell you what, we have just only scratched the surface on some of the things that Senator Feinstein is doing. And, and it, with all, all joking aside, uh, Lisa's absolutely right. If you can get the job done, see, that's what America, it's not about gender. It's not about race. Can we keep America safe? What are our elected officials doing? Tonight, Spotlight on Capitol Hill has made it clear. Senator Feinstein, and we again have not even gone past the first two pages of information. That is astounding. And we're going to pick it right up on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Temperature right now, 36 degrees, cloudy, and the haze of winter on the horizon. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling 
that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the nation. We'll see you then. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talent and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. I stand for equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. 
By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. We have a big problem and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday here at AJC Radio. And we're having a good time tonight as, as uh, we go through the information, if you will, on some huge work that Senator Feinstein, Diane Feinstein, out of California, is doing to impact her community, but ultimately impact the nation on the things that she is doing. And Dennis, uh, Lisa, William Cliff, talking a little bit on the break uh, you got so much information here. You uh, you wonder really how possible it is to be able to do all of this. It, we say that sometimes, Lisa, uh, during uh, our other spotlights, where you feel like you got so much information. How do, how does a person? And I don't think American American people really understand. We're learning as we have begin to learn to go along. And to research what we're doing, it is absolutely amazing. Oh, they don't have a clue. They, they don't have a clue really as don't. to what all these these members are, what they're doing, all the hard work that they're doing. They don't know. If you don't go out there and look at and research it like we're doing, they'll never know it. That's, that's, that, that's just the truth, folks. You want to join in on the conversation tonight, dial in 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216. As we continue our discussion about Senator Feinstein, uh, we were talking during the break a little bit about some of the actions and legislation that she is introducing, and and we were talking about having a part in the Amber Alert uh, initiative that took place. She played a part in that, William. And as a father, uh, you have to know the importance of what that. Every time I look at my phone, no matter what's going on, and that phone starts beeping, you're like, what is that? It's the Amber Alert. That's right. And lives have been saved as a result. This speaks volumes. And again, I don't think we grasp the importance of the job of the people we put in office. I don't. I really. I really believe that. No. We, I mean, you. You like Lisa said. You. You know, we're scratching the surface 
of years of dedication and devotion and being selfless. Uh, and, and, and we just talked about security of the country. Now we're talking about security of the citizens and, and you know, in particular our children. And when you talk about she was instrumental in, and a co-sponsor of the bill to help expand you know, nationwide the Amber Alert. So, yeah, everybody has a smartphone when it goes off. I mean, it, it gives you that information, who you're looking for, you know, the kid, the description, they may have a car, any kind of details that makes the community aware of something going on, you know, that a child is lost or a child has been abducted. And it sets everybody alert and makes pretty, pretty much it enables everyone to become uh, kind of police ourselves. And so it's that's tremendous. You know, so she understands the fact that these kids, these children, they're innocent and they look to adults, you know, for safety, for comfort. And, and she realized, but there's people out there that are predators and uh, and many children have been lost uh, through death or, you know, have been through sex trafficking or whatever. And, and it's, it's tremendous, tremendous, the work that she's done to help protect our children. Yeah, and you. You look at the system like the Amber Alert system, and, and most people just take it for granted. Like, hey, well, you know, if uh, you know, I, I got a, a SMS message or I got an alert on my phone. Oh, it's an Amber Alert. Uh, something's going on. They never, you know, to Lisa's point, they never understand what it took. The uh, the people who had to sign off on it, the legislation, the uh, lobbying back and forth, people who opposed it to say, okay, we need to get this in front of our lawmakers to say this is a nationwide system that, uh, like you said, that protects children. I mean, when you see up and down the interstate, the Amber Alert, you get it on your cell phone. There's an Amber Alert. It goes across the call like an emergency broadcasting system. There's an Amber Alert. Somebody's child is in danger, and now the entire country, not just the the local people, not just okay, if your child was uh was taken in in uh you know down at 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 uh Venice Beach, not just the people on Venice Beach, but the entire nation is now aware that there's a child that has been taken, there's a child that is in danger, and if you see this child, if you see the person, you see the vehicle, let everybody know and but the American people don't understand what it took to bring that in place absolutely right it wasn't just somebody say oh well yeah let's let's do an amber alert and then all the states say okay well we'll follow suit no it took legislation it took you know blood sweat and tears going back and forth day and night to convince everyone involved that this is a system that needs to be in place and you know laws just don't show up laws right. that are good for the people they have to be put in place by uh, members of Congress like Senator uh, Feinstein when when she says, OK, I'm giving my life for the service of the American people. And that is what it takes for a member of Congress to be a good member is, like I said, these common sense events and things that affect us all that when you look back, you'd be like, that was a great idea to put the Amber Alert system nationwide. Well, that is the importance that we talk about all the time of the American people getting out to vote. This is what it takes to run a nation. And as one senator or congressman called, getting a bill passed was like being at the Coliseum as a gladiator. Yeah, I mean, fighting. you're fighting. You, come, you ever seen somebody in whether it's UF, is a UFC clip? Yeah. Uh, man, you know, I witnessed a couple of those really locally, not the national stage, uh, some years ago. And I'm look, looking at all the blood on the mat. On the canvas, you're like, man, 
Is that guy, is he all right? That's how much blood and stuff is on the canvas. And I use that analogy to say, look, this is what Congress is doing on a day-to-day basis. They're going to the mat. And guess what? If you don't fight the fight, you don't get the results. And results are coming. Like, like Cliff said, you can't go anywhere in the United States. You can be in Vegas on vacation, anywhere, California, Florida, wherever. And guess what? If that Amber Alert goes out, it goes out. Well, I think, I think what you're saying is, is so true. I mean, it's not just I introduce this. I have to sponsor and fight for it. Exactly I mean, what, right. we're talking, what we're talking about, is we're seeing today the efforts that she did in 2002. Now, you, you think about that. Mm-hmm. So this, this bill went in, this, this uh, I guess, amendment to it, you know, our, you know, went in in 2002, and we're reaping the benefits today. That's what these senators are doing. That's the ones like, you know, like Dianne Feinstein that's there, that's been there for years. She understands the fact that these bills, that the laws, the things that they put in place, programs, they will impact years, 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 you know, in this case, de- a decade down the road. So, yeah, like Cliff said, I mean, here in Colorado, we have the overhead signs on I-25. We even see the Amber Alerts there. So even if your your phone is off, you see an Amber Alert right there. I mean, that's that's amazing. Yes, it but is. you if you really you really have to understand this was not just I'm going to put my name on some paper and I'm going to put some ideas down. And I'm going to say, okay, guys, vote on it. That was an extreme amount of effort to champion this through and to get it to where we benefit from it today. And we're learning that more and more every day. Uh, Senator Feinstein also, the success rate continues uh, as far as her passion. Her passion. you got to have passion to do that job. Uh, Helping Schools Protect Our Children Act of 2015 uh, the bill amends the Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965 to include the training of school personnel to recognize child sexual abuse among the uses of grants to states and subgrants to local educational agencies and partnerships under the Teacher and Principal Training and Recruiting Fund Program. So we, Senator Feinstein says, look, we got a problem in this country with child abuse. Sexual assault, it's, it's out there. She says, let's do something to educate the teachers, the staff, to say we can recognize that something is wrong. When little Johnny shows up to school with his lunchbox and his arm is half broken, is in a cast, what happened to little Johnny? He's got bruises on his back. She's saying, what do we need to do to recognize what is going on? What, is the, what are the warning signs, if you will, that there's abuse in the home? That, that, you know, this is something... Uh, that is that is definitely, definitely critical. She goes further with the Adoptive Family Relief Act. Bill amends the Immigration and Nationality Act to declare that if an immigrant visa was issued on or after March 27, 2013 for a child who has been lawfully adopted or was coming to the United States to be adopted by a U.S. citizen, any statutory immigrant visa fees relating to a renewal or replacement of such a visa may be waived or refunded if the child wasn't able to use the original immigrant visa during the period of his validity as a direct result of extraordinary circumstances. This is the human spirit of America right here. This is the human kindness of America right here to say, look, let's do something to bring some relief to a family who is, who is adopting this child. These are things that take the burden off of the American people. See, that, that's the big, Dennis, when you hear that, 
okay, what else can I do to lighten the load of, of the American people? What can I do to make that child who's being adopted, maybe cutting those fees puts an extra meal on the table. Maybe it puts an extra gallon of milk in the refrigerator. For that, you understand what I'm saying? These are things that are impacting lives every single day. And it's day-to-day living that Senator Feinstein says, I'm going to make a difference in every part that I can. How extraordinary is that? Very extraordinary. I mean, when you think about it, it it's, this initiative is giving me an incentive, uh, an incentive to uh, do something that I want to do. I want to adopt that child. And now you're going to help me. You're going to make sure that I'm able to do it. And you're going to take some of that pressure of, of adopting a child off of me. That's awesome. I mean, again, you talked about the spirit of the American people. Uh, the American people truly care. And when you got senators uh, that's, that's caring also, that's truly about making sure that we can provide and assist and help uh, the American people to do what they do best. And that's caring. Listen, if we could get this contagious in every seat on, in Congress and in the U.S. Senate, I guarantee you we get some stuff done. Yes, yes. The problem is, and we have found that a lot of our members are doing and working tirelessly to bring about these things that help America. I think the most unfortunate thing is I would have never known this about Senator Feinstein by sitting on the couch watching any network, I would have never known it. I would have never known that she was co-sponsor of amending the Amber Alert on a national level. This is, un- to me, that a lack of information is as much uh, abuse and cruel as anything else in this country. This information about your elected officials should be out there for the American people to know. And I'm telling you, if can anybody here tell me they would have known any of this information about Senator Feinstein? Would not have known it. They would not have known it. And, and, the, that, ma- and the majority of people would not have known, Cliff. And that is what is so important about uh, this program, about Spotlight on Capitol Hill, because, like you say, uh, m- most people, you know, they, they'll get – they might watch C-SPAN – Every once in a while, if they hear, oh, there's going to be something very critical that they may be interested in and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to spend five minutes watching uh, C-SPAN on this voting issue. But you don't get into the background of who that person is that's voting. You don't get into their voting history, who they are as a person, who they what what their their uh, passions are where they stand as a legislator. And, and that is, you know, one of the reasons for this program is to say, look, this is who, um, like in this case, this is who Senator uh, Feinstein is to the American people. And you may not know her. You may not, uh, you may not know where she came from, what her, what are her habits are as far as voting, but we are here to ensure that you understand that this is what, this is her track record. It, it, I mean, the evidence speaks for itself. You can easily find if a member of Congress is for the American people. Look at their track record on how they vote. Look at the type of things like Senator Feinstein voting for, uh, you know, for children and health and, and, uh, and veterans. It speaks to who the member of Congress is and, and their history as a, as a voter. On, this, is, this is where they stand, and this is what makes them a great member of Congress or – uh, for lack of a better term, just a politician. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and these are things that I believe are critical uh, that we know about this. Senator Feinstein has a reputation uh, for doing things and passing legislation or introducing legislation that protects everybody. And uh, the Protecting Our Youth from Dangerous Synthetic Drugs Act is a pure example of that. Amends the Controlled Substances Act to include in definition of a controlled substance analog, a substance designed as designated, excuse me, as such by the Controlled Substance Analog Committee established by this act. Uh, this is something that, again, if you don't have the definition of what a particular drug is or what it can or cannot do, she said, let's be specific about this. Because if we're not specific, guess what happens? We fill body bags. We have kids dying of overdosing. We have adults dying of overdoses. Uh, she goes further here uh, about the drug trafficking, human trafficking. She's very concerned about it. even spoke in regards uh, to the unaccompanied children at the U.S. border. These are children. What's going on with that? These are things we're going to talk about. She went further uh, discussing uh, student loan debt and equal pay for women. Again, these are things that affect America. If you have equal pay for women, you have a stronger economy. If you have equal pay for women, you have women in, that are in domestic violence situation are scared to leave because they don't make enough money to, to, bring, to take care of the kids. So they stay put in a situation. Now, that's, again, this is the big picture. Well, you give women equal pay, it gives them something to strive for. Then you know what? I don't have to stay in a situation because I can make the same money you make. That's right. This is something that affects America. Let's hear a little bit about that student loan and debt. Uh, for equal pay for women. Let's see what she had to say about that. I'm very pleased to be here. I'm very pleased to support Elizabeth Warren's bill. And um, we've got a $1.1 trillion problem on our hands. I want to speak a little bit about my state, California, largely because it's so big and it affects so many. We have 3.8 million former students that have loan balances of $25,700. That's a total of $97 billion. It's nearly the total annual budget of the state of California. And then if you add to it the challenge of salary inequity, it's even more daunting because as what's been said, women earn 77% of what a man does and a college graduated woman only earns 82%. For many former students, male and female, paying off these loans is one big struggle. In fact, more than 1.2 million Californians older than 40 still carry student debt. 640,000 of them are 50 years or above. Can you imagine what it's like to carry debt until you're 55 or 60? when you graduate, when you're 23 or 24. I'd like you to look at one recent graduate. That graduate will pay around $300 a month on their student loan. One year after college, the average young man makes around $46,000. That means $300 monthly payment takes up 8% of his salary before taxes. For the average 20-something, 20, 20 years old, 8% of pre-tax earnings is a very big deal. Things are worse, though, for the average woman. 
Nationwide, she makes around 38000 after one year in college. That means the same $300 monthly payment takes closer to 10% of her pre-tax salary. In California, a woman has to work an average of two and a half years more than her male counterpart to pay off the loan. Let me give you another example. I have an intern in my Washington office today. She's a first-generation college student at UC Santa Barbara. Halfway through her junior year, she had to drop out and work full-time so she could afford to finish her degree. Now that she has her degree, she dreams of a career in public policy. She desperately wants to stay here in Washington and put this education to good use. But today, she owes more than $25,000 in student loans. So instead of looking for a full-time job, she thinks she'll need to move back home after her internship to save on rent, of all things. It's heartbreaking, and it's one issue that Congress must address. Oh, there you have it. Um, Wow. I mean, this is a lot of information. And she is saying, in a nutshell, in two words, I care. That's the bottom line. And I just uh, found out uh, when she was, I told you we talked about she was concerned about human trafficking. Now, human trafficking affects children. A great number of the human trafficking issue is not with adults. It's with kids, vulnerable kids, 12, 10, as young as nine years old as far as trafficking. Provisions from Senator Feinstein's legislation with Senator Rob Portman to reduce the demand for human trafficking were included in the Justice for Victims of Human Trafficking Act and signed into law May 2015. The provisions increase penalties for buyers of sex acts from trafficking victims, expand reporting on trafficking prosecutions, require training for targeting and prosecuting buyers as well as how to provide victims the health services and restitution expand wiretapping authority to cover all human trafficking offenses and strengthen crime victims' rights. And you have to understand, and I think a lot of people are not educated on exactly what happens in human trafficking. Senator Feinstein, here we go, has a gift, if you will, Uh, to be able to say, and from her experience of what she has seen through the years in her tenure in Congress, to say this is not acceptable in America. You are trafficking children for sex. Kids for sex. And these are not comfortable discussions, I'll be honest with you, that people necessarily want to have. But what, to me, the leadership... And that's where I'm going with Senator Feinstein, the leadership and the vision to understand if we don't stop this, if we don't do something, and it's the we don't, if we don't do something attitude that has to be in place in Congress, if we don't, what's the end result of this? It's a bad situation. 
And how many broken hearts, how many broken hearts from fathers and mothers that have to go identify bodies of kids who have, and not a, just take the, the, the death toll out of it, but the loss. The loss and then the mental and emotional impact on that child, Cliff, even if rescued. The impact, I don't think we get it. I don't think we get it. Yeah, I mean, kids are very, um, you know, their their minds, their thought processes, their whole persona can be, you know, is, is, is changed and molded by the things that they go through very early in life. And to have a child be, you know, basically sold into, into some type of uh, slavery, whatever type it is, you know, if it's sexual slavery, if it's, um, you know, them being a, a servant to someone or whatever, that has a serious, serious toll on a child's mind, on their persona. And uh, Senator Feinstein is saying, hey, let's put something in place that, you know, rescues the children and, 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 and then not just gets them back to their family, but also gives them, you know, sets up services that say, hey, we can, we can help. We can, uh, you know, give them some type of rehabilitation, give them some type of, uh, you know, uh, health, help to say we need, we need this child to become a, a member of society that is not afraid of other human beings as such to, uh, you know, to basically become an introvert. But like you said, it is, it shows her, her genuine care, it shows her concern for, uh, you know, the, just the human as, as a whole and for every American citizen to know that you have these type of members of the Congress that say, hey, I'm here to help you in every way that I can. And that is what is so important. That's why you have a senator such as Senator Feinstein that, that's been on the Hill for over 20 years. I mean, they keep getting voted in for one reason. They're getting things done. People don't continue to vote for people that uh, don't get things done. So it's a, a testament to uh, what she has done and who she is as a person. Exactly. And Cliff, you know, not only, you know, being concerned about the child and what happens with the child and how to put uh, implement, you know, put uh, programs in place and, and things in place to make sure that we take care of the children, but then the strict penalties, I mean that's the key. I mean, if if you you got to put some penalties out there that's going to make uh, that that trafficker uh, truly think about what they're doing. I mean, when you t- when you say okay, you want to traffic our tri- our children, uh, we're going to make you pay for it, and, and we're gonna we're gonna make you pay for it hard. And and that's and, and when it comes to our children, there has to be uh, laws in place that hold uh, you know these these I don't know what you want to. You call them pedophiles or what, you, you know, uh, uh, pimps or, or whatever you want to use, but that's what they are. They're pimping our children. They they're out there making money. They're out there uh, breaking up families. So if you want to do that, you're gonna pay the price. And uh, Senator uh, Feinstein uh, is doing just that. No, yeah. It's truly appreciate. And without question, that's being done. I'll tell you what. Listen to this. I think this is extraordinary. We talk about what has. What was the driving force when you see a woman like Senator Feinstein so motivated to do what she is doing? Senator Feinstein won election to San Francisco Board of Supervisors in 1969 and served on the board through the 1970s. She also ran for mayor twice, losing to Joseph Alito 
1971 and finishing a poor third to George Moscone. In the 1975 election, she was an early and firm supporter of presidential candidate Jimmy Carter. When he entered the White House, she tried without success to obtain a cabinet post in Washington, D.C. Turned down in her attempt for higher office, weakened by illness from foreign travel and discouraged by the death of her father and her second husband, Senator Feinstein told writer Jerome Bronfield, I decided I would not again be a candidate for anything. Feinstein then decided to make the announcement that her political career was over. However, half an hour before the press conference on November 27, 1978, where she planned to make her decision public, a former supervisor, Dan White, fatally shot Mayor George Moscone and supervisor Harvey Milk. These murders forced Feinstein into the position of acting mayor. A month later, she was selected to serve out the balance of Moscone's term. As mayor, Senator Feinstein attempted to calm the political unrest and violence, balance the demands of different groups, and help the city recover from the tragic events that put her in office. Think of that just for a moment. We talk a lot about trying times and adversity and different things that we face in life that sometimes is the motivating factor to implement a person into a position to bring change. Now, I'm going to tell you, you got two people who you ran against that are dead. And you said, I'm not running for anything else. Senator Feinstein found something within her to say, you know what? This city needs me. In a time of crisis, they said she was, she, she was basically discouraged. I'm not running for another office. But tragedy put her there. William, what does that say about the character of Senator Feinstein? I mean, it, it, it says volumes about who she is. You know, she's willing to, to step into a role where there is a tremendous need uh, in her own backyard. I mean, she was raised in the Bay Area, and she understood and, and still to this day understands the needs of the people. And, and so she says, listen, if, if no one is willing, I am. I'm willing to champion this. I'm willing to take this on. And I'm not going to cower or run away from the tough issues or, or from the challenges or from the adversities. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stand strong, and I'm going to do what needs to be done. And you can imagine during that time, I mean, for her as a woman to be the mayor of one of the, one of the largest cities in California, uh, one of the largest cities in, in, the, in the nation, you, you can only imagine the challenges that she was facing, just the gender barrier. Yes. Not, not to say the rest of, of what San Francisco and Northern California, there were probably many people looking to her to kind of spearhead a lot of initiatives. If she, if she, as the mayor of San Francisco, was doing this, what is the mayor of San Jose? What is the mayor of your other areas around there doing, willing to do. And so uh, it really says volumes about who she is. And probably, if you think about it, her longevity to this day, 83 years old, still at it. Well, and, and Senator Feinstein faced some new challenges. In 1990, Senator Feinstein ran for governor of California against Republican candidate Pete Wilson. Although she ran a tough campaign that was well-funded by her third husband, 
investment banker Richard Blum, she lost to Wilson by a narrow margin. She immediately changed her focus and in early 1991 announced her intention to run for Wilson's former Senate seat in the 1992 election. Along with fellow Democrat Barbara Boxer, Senator Feinstein was elected to the Senate in 1992. The two became the first women senators ever elected in California. Their election was part of a new women's revolution. Since prior to January 1993, only 15 women had ever served in the Senate. There had never been more than two serving at any given time. After her re-election in 1996, Senator Feinstein shared the the floor with eight fellow women senators, all representing a wide range of viewpoints. Of the change, Senator Tom Harkin said, just by being on the Senate floor, they've changed the male mindset. I mean, what does that say to the, to the young women, to the little girls that be, are striving, Lisa, uh, to be successful, to say, look, we can, change the, uh, we can change the picture. Senator Feinstein did just that. She came in there. I'm talking after challenge. And you know, if the history of the Congress and the Senate was that you never had two women at the same time. Well, they have bombarded that to this day. And I got to believe Senator Feinstein played a huge part in that effort. Oh, absolutely, Lamont. And, you know, I mean, her and uh, Senator Boxer were the first two women. And that was back in the day when women were always, I mean, women have a, there's a low opinion of women overall, I think, across the nation, feeling that women are, are, are inferior to men. And at that time, I'm, I'm sure that that sentiment was worse than it is today. And I, I think what they did was they laid the groundwork for women everywhere to be, be able to say, I can do whatever I choose to do. Just because it's always been men doesn't mean it always has to be men. You can change that. And that's what they did at that time. They made a difference at that time when it was all men. The first two women to come in there made it known that, hey, it's, this is not just a men's job, a man's job. This can be done by anyone. No, absolutely, and I think that just speaks volumes. And I'll tell you what, somebody followed suit behind Senator Feinstein because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of women on Capitol Hill today. And, uh, Lisa, we've had the opportunity to see dozens, more than that, of women walking with their Congress pin on their lapel. And I'll tell you what, tonight we take a bow. For Senator Feinstein for paving the way for others. Folks, this continues on the other side of the break. We'll continue to discuss what Senator Feinstein is doing, man. And I'll tell you what, the energy is high here at AJC Radio as we continue, and I can say it without fear of contradiction, to honor a legend. Her name is Senator Diane Feinstein. We'll be right back. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, 
terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We, we can, can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents that are incarcerated? These children cope with the pain through drugs, alcohol, anger, and violence. It is so important. So important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone. Become a part of the community. 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 Become a part of the community. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and I'll tell you the temperature has continued to rise since 6 o'clock, and I'll tell you, we're doing some things out here, folks, dealing with Senator Dianne Feinstein. Man, oh, man, that's all you can say. Cliff, when you take a minute to take a breath uh, of the things that Senator Feinstein is doing, I'll tell you what, it leaves you overwhelmed somewhat, doesn't it? Absolutely, it just lets you know that uh, that the members of Congress, you know, when they when they put their mind to it and put their their uh, energy and uh, effort, that they can get great things done, and and also that 
there is more going on on Capitol Hill than American people uh, ever fathom. Uh, you know, they say, well, hey, you know, what's going on? Why aren't they getting anything done? It's, that is not at all the case. We've been there enough times. We've seen, uh, you know, had ourselves wait enough time to say, hey, well, they're doing a vote. They're doing another vote. They're going to yeah. they're going to get with you. They're going to be coming. But, hey, they're going over this bill that they got to vote on today. So, you know, they they work tirelessly. And for those who, uh, you know, are really looking to, um, you know, make a make a change for the American people, make a positive uh, impact like Senator Feinstein. Those are the type of senators, type of members of Congress that uh, you have to, you know, you have to tip your hat to say you you gave your life, you put in, you know, and most of the ones who are doing a great job, they've been there more than 20 years. You know, they, they should have been retired a long time ago because they put the time in, but their uh, their passion and the drive for the American people keeps them there until the entire work what they feel they could get accomplished is done. And like I say, you know, we, we take our hats off to them and, uh, and commend them for the great job that they do. No, absolutely. Yes, I, I tell you, you can't, I mean, there's so much that she's done. So much she's done both nationally for us here with security. We've talked about, you know, for California, there's no way you can cover all the things that Dianne Feinstein has done to help us as a country, help us as a people move things forward um, to where we are today. So, I mean, but I, I guess I'm still stuck on the character of this lady. Yeah. You know, the, just the sheer character of this person that says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to overcome the challenges. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to duck. I'm not going to try to avoid it. I can stand and stand strong. And I think, I think one of the facts that you, we brought up was something that Lisa uncovered, right, about the Senate seat. Was that right? About the women in, women in Congress? Is yes. that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. We looked, found that, that they were, as of 2015, there were 20 women serving in the U.S. Senate and 84 in the U.S. House of Representatives as of 2015. And from what we said earlier, her and uh, Senator Boxer were the only two. They were initially. the very first, the first two ever be, to ever be there. And they were alone among all those men. They, they had a hard job ahead of them, and they did well. Look at what they've done. And I'll give you a little bit. Uh, we were talking a little about uh, some of the things uh, involving safety and protection and kids and family. Uh, improving K through 12 education, Senator Feinstein secured a number of provisions in the Every Student Succeeds Act, a bill signed into law in December 2015 to reform K through 12 education. A provision from the Expanding Opportunities through Quality Charter Schools Act to expand charter schools and provide continued support for existing high-quality charter schools. Senator Feinstein joined Senators Lamar Alexander a Republican from Tennessee, Mark Kirk, a Republican from Illinois, and Michael Bennett, Senator Bennett from Colorado, in introducing the legislation in January of 2015. So she crossed the aisle, was able to talk to two Republicans to say, will you get on board? What does that say? And I tell you, it speaks to the experience, as Lisa just said, she was one of two women senators to occupy the floor of the Senate, the only two. You better believe she saw some warfare. And I'll tell you what, it, it, what has happened with Senator Feinstein, she buckled down and said, you know what, I got a job to do. The American people put me here, and I'm going to do my job. And she has proven to do that. Just to name a, a, couple, a few awards 
that uh, Senator Feinstein has received a number of them, including the 2015 Ansel Adams Award from the Wilderness Society, the 2012 Outstanding International Public Service Award from the World Affairs Council, the 2007 Legislation of the Year Award from the California County Superintendents, Educational Services Association, the 2007 Charles Dick Medal of Merit from California National Guard, the 2006 Grammy on the Hill Award from the Recording Academy, the Leadership Award from the National Parks Conservation Association, the 2005 Outstanding Member of the U.S. Senate Award from the National Narcotic Officers Association Coalition, the 2004 Funding Hero Award from the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, the 2004 Women of Achievement Award from the Century City Chamber of Commerce, and the 2001 Woodrow Wilson Award for Public Service in 2001. And that is just to name a few. Dennis, your thoughts? She is outstanding. I mean, I tell you, uh, the senator is, is is great at what she's doing. I mean, she's still I mean, she's still fighting. I mean, even uh, in lieu of her uh, recent uh, uh, hospital stay, and she's currently there now resting. But I tell you, she's still uh, watching what's going on with this nation, uh, and she's still going to make sure she's contribute to make sure that this country remains great. And that's what uh, uh, good senators do. And I think what's really respectable about uh, Senator Feinstein is that when you believe in something, you stand no matter what the controversy is. And you remember earlier when uh, President Obama uh, had a Supreme Court nominee that was well qualified to do the job. And there was a lot of th- things said out there of, of, you know, that, you know, why would the president appoint somebody because he was supposed to be doing his job. Senator Feinstein had something to say about that process. Let's hear her words on it. I rise today to speak for the second time about this Supreme Court vacancy. And I do so not callously, not uh, spontaneously, but really after 23 years of service on the committee. So I like to believe I have some experience and some knowledge about how these matters have been handled in the past. And Madam President, I truly believe we have an obligation to consider a president's judicial nominees no matter when. And I'd like to speak about why that duty is so important, particularly for the Supreme Court and the consequences of not fulfilling it. To be very candid, I'm shocked at the supreme nature of what's happening because of what I believe its impact is going to be in the next year. Since the Judiciary Committee started holding hearings on Supreme Court nominations in 1916, not a single nominee for a vacancy has been denied a hearing, ever. Even during presidential election years, the Senate has done its job. In 1988, President Reagan's final year in office, Senate Democrats confirmed Justice Kennedy. Three years later, 1991, Justice Thomas was confirmed after the presidential campaign had begun. Democrats could have said no, no hearing, no committee work, no vote, no consideration by the full Senate. But that didn't happen. The nominations were processed and they were confirmed. 
So why is it so important that we do our job? Why is an eight-member court unable to function to the highest and best use of the United States Supreme Court? Ties in the Supreme Court create uncertainty in the law. Important legal questions go unanswered. The law varies then throughout the country, and people and businesses often fail to receive justice. I'd like to review just some of the examples where an incomplete court was unable to levy justice. These are several examples of the importance of nine member justices. If one, there are, if one looks at recusals over the past few years. In 2010, Justice Kagan recused herself from Flores VR v. United States. This case was going to decide whether a United States citizen father must reside in the United States longer than a United States citizen mother in order to confer citizenship to his child born abroad. Well, there you have it. Senator Dianne Feinstein mixing, not mixing the words in any way. She's saying, look, do your job. And I'll tell you what, President Obama did exactly just that. And you know what? Senator Feinstein has earned the right to call people out with her record because she has never failed to do her job. And she continues after being in Congress as a U.S. Senator since 1992 to continue to do her job. And we were talking uh, a little bit earlier about her love uh, for the veterans. Her fairness for all people is very clear in Senator Feinstein's record. And then as we were talking a little bit about uh, the veterans and, and, and something that is an issue that's really close to your heart, tell the folks a little bit about it. Yes, it said that uh, Senator uh, Feinstein was instrumental in securing legislative authorization for the Buffalo Soldiers in the National Park Study, uh, which will determine the best way to commemorate the Buffalo Soldiers. I I think this is awesome. I mean, uh, there was a big fight. For, our buffalo, for the Buffalo Soldiers. And, and, and Dennis, explain what to our listeners that don't know. Who are the Buffalo Soldiers? These are the uh, first, these are the African-American uh, uh, unit that fought uh, in the war uh, for our country. I mean, they, they played a, a critical role uh, in the early years. So what it is, is it's recognizing them, letting them know that, yeah, we appreciate your service to this country. And also saying, okay, Let's honor them. And how do we do that? You know, by, you know, with the national parks, making sure that our Buffalo soldiers are commemorated. And she was instrumental in that. And right now, Buffalo soldiers to this day, uh, again, a lot, maybe some people don't know, but to this day, they're being recognized on all kinds of installations and national parks. And what does that say again? This is a white woman. But again, when you take an oath of office, you, you are representing America. And the fact that she took time 
to say we're going to recognize these soldiers. Doesn't matter that they're African American. You know what? That's what we need more of. What are these soldiers doing? What are they doing to help us? The character, as William alluded to earlier, of Senator Feinstein is, is I'm telling you, it's, a, it's over the top in a very positive way. And when you hear that, Dennis, as you being a, a, a former you know, veteran or whatever, uh, not whatever, I don't mean it that way, right. but doing what you've done, contributing to this nation as you have, that has to really go to the heart. And that's what we need in Congress. I believe that, that those would be your thoughts as well. And it does. I mean, it truly goes to the heart, especially of, uh, for, uh, from veterans, uh, because a lot of times veterans are not uh, given what they truly deserve. And, and uh, Senator Feinstein shows that, hey, uh, we got to take care of our veterans. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what era they were from. Uh, it's all about taking care of our veterans and truly that in itself is big. Again, I'm not just singling out the veterans because she's doing great things no, for uh, you know all, all of America. But when it comes to our veterans, they truly need to be recognized, and I think Senator Feinstein is doing that. And to be colorblind to the fact, you know, we're not just recognizing this particular. We are recognizing Americans. Yes, that are fighting for this country, and that are doing things to to when you lay your head on your pillow at night. There are soldiers that are keeping the homeland safe. Exactly. People better wake sleeping. up to that. They're not sleeping. I remember stories. My father was in the military for years, and we used to hear stories about, did they call it CQ? Yes. Okay? That's where they're at the gate. They're standing up, right? They have, they're there for how many number of hours protecting America? That's awesome. And I think when it comes down to it, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't scratched the surface on Senator Feinstein. Not at These all. are just, uh, we said before it would take a number of shows, but tonight, Senator Feinstein, our prayers and thoughts go out to you for a timely recovery, and we look forward to the more, uh, the legislations and the hard work we are confident you will provide uh, in this Congress, and uh, we salute you tonight here at AJC Radio, a champion for the people. Right now, we turn our efforts to what you didn't know about the RP6. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the IRP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11 year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything my business my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The RP6, David Banks, Gary Walker, 
Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question, where is justice? What you didn't know about the IRP6 case is the question. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? The IRP6 and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the IRP6 story to be continued. What you didn't know about the RP6 continues tonight here on AJC Radio. Who are they? David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Clinton Stewart, Kendrick Barnes, and Demetrius Harper are those men that have been wrongfully convicted and have languished in prison wrongfully for four and a half years. I'll tell you right now, a just cause petition, the Judicial Council for Review of Judicial Complaints. However, they also turned a blind eye to this issue. Chief Judge Temkovic asserts in his response, dismissing the complaint that the allegations are conclusory in nature and without sufficient evidence to raise an inference that misconduct had occurred. Not only did he ignore the evidence and disregarded the willful indifference that the prevailing law provided, but failed to totally provide detailed analysis and specifics to that denial. When you have a entity clip set up that is supposed to take complaints of misconduct, that are supposed to say that an action took place in this case, and they fail to even look at the facts. It doesn't take a genius to look at the facts of the IRP6 case to say something went terribly wrong here. And it is blatant. It's not something that's hid. It is blatant. What does that tell you as we discuss this tonight? Where the injustice, where does it stop? And where do we find justice in these entities? Absolutely. And that statement that you made that it doesn't take a genius to you know, to look at the ev- I mean, th- this this case, the evidence cries out to you like somebody looks at look at me. But in this situation, you know what, you know, people who could be deemed uh, judicial uh, law geniuses have looked at this. case Yes. And have come to the same conclusion that, you know, this this was a miscarriage of justice. So when you go to places like the, uh, you know, the Judicial Council and you say, OK, I'm making a complaint as a citizen 
to say that something went awry here, you begin to feel like these government agencies are are uh, not out for the interests of the American people, but are out for the uh, you know pretty much the the agency that you're making the complaint against. It's, it's like you feel that they are put there to ensure that uh, when a citizen does come and make a complaint, that that complaint is basically squashed and that nothing happens. And it's it's difficult to accept that, that, hey, you know, this is, this, this, is it possible? This is what's going on. But the conclusion of the matter is that's exactly what happens. When you have the evidence there, it's been looked at by, uh, by attorneys, it's been looked at by federal prosecutors, it's been looked at by former judges, it's been looked at by state officials, it's been looked at by uh, professionals and analysts, and they all come to the same conclusion, that this was a miscarriage of justice, speaking of the IRP-6 case, and then when you go to the place that you're supposed to go, where you can get relief from that injustice, and uh, basically you're turned away and a, a, a blind eye is turned to uh, the, injustice, the injustice that has happened, that is what uh, gives you pause about the American uh, justice system. And this is the Judicial Council, Cliff, out of Washington, D.C., uh, where that was actually said. The complaint addresses the motivation and bias of the judges to support and join with the prosecutor in not disregarding prevailing law, but forfeiting their judicial independence in favor of using suggestions provided by the prosecutor in support of rulings against the defendants. The judge's limited response shows he disregarded these issues and did not give proper consideration. Gives the impression he was indifferent and played coy with allegations of the law by the, by the subject judges, characterizing them as merits, related and not conjugal as misconduct. These are things that, William, when you think about it, this is a political answer of laziness. Yes. I'm going to give you an answer that requires no work on my part. This is why there is no faith in the criminal justice system for justice. You, you point citizens to, an, to a place. If the judge has done something that is inappropriate, we will call her out. If the prosecution has done something inappropriate, we will call her out. If the Constitution is violated as a result of the conduct of Christine, excuse me, federal judge Christine Arguello, Matthew Kirsch, and John Walsh, they are to be held accountable for that conduct. Yeah. And when we don't see it, what are we supposed to do? William, your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's the same thing. You give, you put these things in place to try to give somebody hope that they have an advocate if, if the court, if the system did not deal with them correctly. Correct. Okay, but all it is is a facade. It's smoke and mirrors. You go there, you, you file your complaint, you file your grievance, and it goes nowhere. It, it ends up on the floor, and nothing happens. And it goes further, uh, uh, William. The complaint presented clear and convincing evidence that judges are Guayle, Baldock, Hearts, and Holmes intentionally departed from and showed a willful indifference to the prevailing law, then attempted to hide the improprieties by using conjecture manufactured by Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch in an attempt to cure 
gross statutory and constitutional violations that occurred during the trial of the IRP-6. Ladies and gentlemen, stand by. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 is going to pick up again, and we will continue to ask the tough questions, and we're going to seek those answers out. A very, very special thanks to Senator Dianne Feinstein tonight for her service to this nation. And we are grateful for what she has done. We wish you, again, our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family as you recover from uh, your, your uh, medical situation. And we look forward and wish you the very, very best in working with you in the future. But there are perpetrators of justice, Lisa. We talked about it Tuesday. We'll talk about it tonight. Who are the perpetrators? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Ward, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. Ladies and gentlemen of America, thank you for joining us tonight. Be safe and stay warm as winter barrels down on the nation. Ladies and gentlemen, good night. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We'll see you next time. Good night, America. I've met with people all over California. I've listened and learned. And that's why I authored a mortgage refinancing plan to help families stay in their homes. It's why I support investments in research and development, education and transportation to create good jobs. And I'll always protect a woman's right to choose and honor our nation's commitment to Medicare and Social Security. Thank you.